Hey everyone, I'm Rob Lee, and this is Beloved Journal. Each week, I sit down with one of my friends as we discuss what it means to love and be loved. I'm not talking about romantic love, but the kind of love that leads us to empathy, compassion, and grace. Things our world desperately needs right now. Hey everybody, this is Rob Lee. Welcome to Beloved Journal. Today on the show, we have Larissa May, who is founder and director of Half the Story, an important group that's teaching social media empathy and mental health resources uh, for all of those young people who are online and for all of us who are online seeking a better understanding uh, of the platforms that we are on. I do want to note to you that due to the nature of this uh, this program, there is mention of suicidal ideations and suicide. So if that is something that you are uh, especially uh, susceptible to, we invite you to tune in next week for our program then. As always, if you need help, please reach out to local resources or to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. Again, that's 800 273 8255. Now let's listen into the program. Larissa, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Thank you for having me here, Rob. Well, you've got your pup there. Why don't you introduce us to him? Even though this will be audio, people might want to know who's with you today. Yeah, and they, they might hear a couple of pug snorts along the way. So we have Poncho. Poncho is part of me and also part of half the story. He is a mental health advocate pug. So it is only fitting that he's here today to be a part of the conversation. <laughs> hey, you know, and I get it too, because, you know, Frank, my poodle is the biggest mental health advocate I have in my corner. He's like, you need to take a nap and I will take it with you. And I will be there for you during that nap. And when <laughs> you wake up, so, uh, I get the mental health advocate portion, so. Oh, the dogs are the real heroes of the pandemic. There, Let's be real. <laughs> so, so why don't you tell us, I mean, honestly, like, let's start from the beginning. Tell us about you, uh, Larissa, and how you got into the work of talking about mental health, of how you, what you're doing now, what's important to you, because you're doing a lot and it's very important. Well, thank you for asking. And, you know, many bright stories start from dark places. And my my story is no exception to that rule. Uh, I've struggled with mental health throughout my entire life, uh, but I didn't really know what mental health even was until I was in my early 20s. Uh, I remember being a young teenager, being in high school and really struggling to the point where my mind was controlling my body and my body would be shaking. I would need to be lay down for 10 minutes in between studying for different tests because I just literally couldn't function and I couldn't stand up. And I hit, you know, really two rock bottoms of my life, one when I was 16 and one when I was 20. And they were both times in my life where I never I just lost everything. I lost my friends. Um, I lost my energy. I lost my passion and I lost my lust for life, which if you know me, I am, I think I would say one of the most um, energetic people you'll ever meet and the Energizer Bunny. But it, it, there was a point in my life really too, in which I didn't even think it was worth living anymore. And I had plans to end my life so that there wasn't a tomorrow. And I struggled with suicidal ideation 
because of the pain that I was experiencing. And the most ironic part about it was that when I was in college, I was experiencing all of this behind the scenes, but I had this completely different life online. And I think it's interesting because I was working in the fashion industry and entertainment. And I started to really see how the world that the people that we look up to put out is far from the reality that they experience. It's, it's somewhat of a projection of the way that they want to be seen. But at the end of the day, we all have our own human emotions. And so, you know, it really took me completely falling, losing my best friend. I remember, you know, I just remember my sophomore year in college. I remember two things, the sound of people partying in the hallway and me being alone in my dorm room. And I remember looking at the bed across from mine being empty because my best friend, who was no longer my friend, moved down the hall. And my best friend became my phone. Um, My phone was my shield. It was the shield between me and the world and also the shield between me and my own emotions. And when I was in this darkness, I was faced to recognize the role that technology is playing in my life. And I started to see how I could protect myself and protect all of these people from really knowing what was going on. But at the end of the day, the story that I was sharing was far different from the one that I was experiencing. I wouldn't get out of bed for two weeks to go to class and then I would post a photo that, you know, it was just like me in some weird outfit from, you know, a couple months prior. And, you know, that's when I realized that I needed to be a part of the solution. And after working in the entertainment industry, I started to see that 99% of the social influence was created by 1% of the creators. And the reality that they were creating was not realistic. And we're living in a world where 80% of teens aspire to be social media influencers when they grow up. That means that 80% of teens are aspiring for a world that doesn't exist. And so I wanted to be on the other side of that conversation. I shut down everything, my fashion blog, which was actually like a big source of my revenue in college for all the things that I wanted to do for fun. And I started half the story and I started by sharing my own struggle which really uh, kind of cultivated and catapulted a community and a movement where young people around the world started sharing their struggles with technology and mental health as well. So, so one of the things that comes to mind is this idea that young people are struggling, right? I, I mean, it's, a, it's almost an age old story, but it's got a new enemy in it in some ways with, with social media, with tech. I mean, you know, I, I have a pretty big following on Twitter now and it's like, there were times when that was what consumed me and defined me was like, how many followers could I get? Were I losing followers? What content was important? And, you know, this was even something that I, I mean, like I consider myself a regular guy, right? Like I don't, you know, this is not something I didn't aspire to even be an influencer yet. That, that was defining me. One of the things I appreciate about what you're doing. um, And I hope you'll speak a little bit about this is, is, you know, you've, you know that social media is here to stay, right? Like, you know that it is not something that's going away. We can't get rid of this this newfound friend in the room. Um, But I'm curious, you you have this real empathy and respect for people who are are going through that, but you also call them to maybe unplug for just a little bit. You create resources and tools by which people who have this issue aren't completely divorcing themselves from technology, uh, but finding ways to work with it. 
Thank you for asking that. And, and, and that really leads me to what the solution is, right? I think, you know, so often in our culture and in the news, we're, we're driven to publications and just even headlines that are really daunting. And yes, uh, technology is having a profound impact on us. Um, and five years ago, I believed that the future of the mental health movement was going to need to have a conversation regarding technology because we spend more time with our phones than we do eating, talking to other people. People sitting with our own thoughts or moving our bodies. And so half the story is a nonprofit on a mission to empower the next generation's relationship with technology through education, resources, and advocacy. And in order to be on the side of prevention, it required a solution. And one of which we, we just launched is, which is social media, you, and we're going into schools to teach kids, not just about screen time and not how to live without their technology, but how to live with it. Because these kids are living in fight or flight. Social media, which one of our uh, advisors said this so, so poignantly, social media is the lion of the next generation. Every day, these kids are living and dying by their notification, which over time, especially at a point in which their brains are still developing and they're relying on the limbic system, which is driven by emotions and rewards, you know, that is that's that's having a profound impact on not only their mental health, but their physical health by living in the state of, of chronic fight or flight. And so our mission is to first educate young people about what is this really doing to their brain and how do we take the practices that we apply in CBT to other parts of the mental health space and apply that to our relationship with technology? Because by shifting, a, a habit is just a pattern. And it's changing one or two things that you do a day and sticking with that. And what we've seen with our kids and this, this tool, this AI app that we've designed along the way is that they have the ability to take the power back from these tech companies by redefining their relationship and having intentions with these technologies. And so we teach them how to do that. We teach them how to unhack their phone. There are so many things that you know are built into our technology that keep us hooked, whether it's just the colors that they use or the notifications. But then more importantly, what we do is we train them how to be digital activists and how to take these ideas in these conversations online and do something offline. Because it's one thing to make a TikTok about depression, but it's another thing to help refer that friend that made that TikTok and express their emotions online to the resources that they need. Because advocacy is the first step, but it's not the end of the story. And we need to give these tools to these kids to not just understand and to develop healthier relationships with tech, but also how to break through the noise because false information travels a hundred times faster than truth. So, so you said something interesting there that I really want to touch on that I think is very important. And it's this idea that social media is also a purveyor of mental health resources, right? Like, I mean, we, we get online. I mean, I do this all the time. I'll be online. I'll be scrolling through someone's story and there'll be a post about mental health, depression, bipolar, something like that. Right. Like, and as someone who suffers from bipolar disorder, as someone who gets it like on a daily basis and deals with this chronic mental illness, half the stuff they're saying is bullshit, right? Like, I mean, it's not, it's not correct uh, therapy, psychology, anything. But, but, and yet, because I'm on that platform and believe it to be true and trust the friends, I'm taking that advice. Uh, it, are you combating that? Are you saying that's not the way to go? Uh, what are you doing about stuff like that? Well, that's a really, a really great question. And, you know, one of the things that 
in the effective advocacy guidelines that we give our teens and our creators. So we train all of our creators. We have a community of therapists and teens that create content for us and they go through a a whole program and they learn the ABCs of advocacy. You know, they learn how to make content more inclusive. Um, For example, you know, just through subtitles and also the way that we use emojis actually singles people out. Um, And so we put them through that training because it's really important. And we also cannot be using, you know, one of the things that I want to stress on here is that the way that the media talks about mental health is not the way that it should be. Mental health and mental illness is not an adjective. And the media loves to use, you know, crazy, insane, you know, maniac, all of those words are not PC. They're not okay to be using. And we teach these young kids that because we're at this point where we have to fight between what the media is doing and, and what the next generation needs to kind of break through in order to really change the entire system. Like this is a foundational structural issue, just like many of the other things that, you know, our world is, is dealing with. And it's going to take completely rewriting those rules to fix that. The other problem that you brought up is also on the influencer piece. Right. And it's that, you know, there is a difference between safe and unsafe storytelling. You know, there was a story about an influencer in India who was selling mental health services, but was not a qualified or trained psychiatrist or psychologist. And that is where I think right now we're in this really interesting place in our world, because five years ago, the self-care movement was became a $4 billion industry, right? And it became something highly unattainable. It was $100 face masks and massages, which, you know, that's not accessible for the everyday person. I think one of my concerns right now is that, yes, it's great we have advocacy, but the two big things that brand creators and even consumers in this next generation, which we hope to teach them, is that we need to take accountable for the way that we advocate. And we need to ensure that through this awareness, we're creating more gateways for support rather than commercializing this and pricing this out from people that can't get the support in the same way that we did through the self-care movement. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And I think in some ways we also view mental health now as mental care for mental illness, right? As like um, this self-care thing, like we can just get through it if we push hard enough, if we pray hard enough if we do this you know have this mentality we post the right sticky on our mirror in the morning right and those are right I hear that I I mean there's some good things to those things those aspects but right like like how do we also make this this idea that you need to get help not so out in the ether but on the ground right like I mean like how do we make this accessible in a way I mean beyond the you know universal health care which we hope for one day right but like how do we make this accessible in a way to teens and young adults and even older adults who, who really are struggling in this moment? That's a, a really great question. And, you know, there's sort of a macro solution to that and then the micro solution to that, which I think, you know, half the story we're trying to break through, right? Because you kind of have to have the tension of both in order to meet, <laughs> to get somewhere in the middle and, and see real change. And so, you know, first and foremost, on the storytelling side, you know, the way that we use social media needs to be used, not just for oh positive quotes that are going to get you through depression, because we can't be bypassing the reality of what a mental illness is. And, um, you know, through the right storytelling, we can actually direct people to local resources to help them get what they need. The best example of that is we have a story squad program with young people around the world. And one of our young women joined our community in Bolivia where there's one psychologist per 100,000 people. 
she unfortunately lost her brother um, to his battle with depression a few years ago. And so we started to work with her. And, you know, we taught her how to be a digital activist and, and how to talk about mental health um, online to create awareness in her community. But what we were able to do was work with her in a local um, social worker to actually aggregate these resources and get her to share them with her friends and create that local word of mouth. Because to be honest, in Bolivia, the crisis text line is not, not available. And America has more resources for mental health than really any other nation in the world, which is why is just really interesting because we we also still feel like there's so much progress that needs to be had but we can use local and micro storytelling and leaders to create and cultivate that change in terms of making things more accessible, uh, and this is really where half the story is headed in, in our future in terms of the longer term ways to activate young people. You know, first and foremost, making it storytelling is something that we can all do. We can share stories, we can share resources, and it's the way that others can see themselves and walk the, walk through the, the struggles that we've had. It's why I share my story so that I can level set with people. But the, the second piece is, you know, beyond the storytelling, beyond the training, what is the long term piece? And I personally believe that if someone is having a hard time, I don't say, oh, go find a therapist. And the reason for that is because I have someone who has a mental health nonprofit had personally struggled with even being able to afford it during my time trying to lead a mental health nonprofit. And so I think we need to rethink what that looks like. And we need to think about who our audience is when, when someone is reaching out for help, because if they're from, you know, if they're from an underserved area, whether it's rural or urban, they're not going to be able to afford a hundred dollar an hour therapist. So, you know, I think the future is really community and peer to peer. Um, we've seen a lot of effectiveness just in, you know, communities supporting each other. And so we're working on a teen program where we're going to have therapists leading groups of young teens so that they can get the support that they need in an intimate space, uh, especially if they can't afford therapy. So, so the obvious question becomes, you know, you, you said so aptly that um, mental illness and mental health are not adjectives. Um, but, but I often wonder, like, you know, for those of us who consider themselves to be mentally ill, you know, one of the things I think about is, I am, am I ever going to get to a place where I can even talk about mental health, right? Like, I mean, am I going to ever get to a place where I can say, oh, wow, this is a mentally, health, a mentally healthy thing to do, because some days it's just surviving, Right. Like some days it's just getting out of bed and some days it's giving yourself permission to stay in bed. So for those people, myself included, who, who are struggling with the concept of even like thinking of what does mental health look like? What are some concrete steps that we can take uh, to begin the process of engaging in what you're engaging in, which is a, is a broader conversation around health and not just illness? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And, you know, the way that we always describe it is that mental health is, you know, really, um, it, it's not just about your brain, it's emotional, psychological, and social well being. And, I always say, you know, the first step into mental health is having a mental health matrix. And what are the things that you need to do for yourself on a daily basis in the category of fitness, food, human connection, and, you know, spirituality in order to promote that mental health? Because just going to yoga 
on its own is probably not going to be enough. If you, especially if you're struggling with a mental illness, yoga and meditation are not going to fix your depression. Like that is just the truth. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's where people really, that that's where the first step is and tech habits play a big role in that. And I think that some of the things that people can do, you know, whether it's parents listening or, you know, younger people is, you know, really think about how there are a couple of things. One, the small tips that you can do, remove all the apps that you don't need, turn off your notifications, Uh, do not whatever you do sleep with your phone, you need to wake up without a phone, and you need to go to sleep without a phone, and you need to train your kids to do the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Modeling behavior is critical, just like it is in any other, um, you know, whether it's someone that's struggling with alcohol addiction, or, you know, tech use, if you're not modeling a healthy behavior with tech, your kids won't either. And, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing here is that it's not about just detoxing for a day. It's really about small habits and steps you can take so that throughout the course of your life, you can have a healthier experience. It's also just about creating more moments of play and connection, you know, having your family put your phones in the middle of the table so that you can actually talk to each other. Um, not going to bed with your phone with your spouse, because, you know, you might not, you could spend an entire year without truly connecting with them because that tech is in between you. And, you know, that's what this is really all about is tech cannot replace our human connection. It really can't. It can supplement it and it can create amazing connections like you and I have, but is not the end all be all. Right. And I think one of the interesting things like I'm thinking about as we're talking about this, you know, you, you've gotten to be a friend of mine and, and, and I really enjoy that. One of the things that I'm thinking about, though, is it is, it is a great gift, right? Like that we, we have this connection, even though you live right now across the country. I look forward to the day when we meet in person, but you know, you know also that I have just in the process of adopting two amazing girls and I'm already thinking about, oh my gosh, these two toddlers are going to be more technology literate by the time they're five uh, than I was until I was in middle school or high school about some of these things. So I think the depressing nature of this conversation is already last year, right? Like it's already past us, but now we have to catch up and get the work done. And I know you're doing such a great job at that. So so tell us specifically how we can support half the story, how we can get involved, if this is something that my listeners are really into and want to follow up with, how how can we get involved? Well, thank you so much for asking that. First and foremost, uh, you can go to our website, halfthestoryproject.org or social media, Half the Story. But the second thing that you can do is we have the Global Day of Unplugging coming up again on August 7th, 2021. Uh, So take the pledge, take some time away from your phone that day, have a conversation with your family and set healthy boundaries. Because at the end of the day, my mission is for everyone that's listening to have a healthier relationship with technology because at the it's it's here for the long haul. Um, but thank you so, so much, Rob. I'm just so grateful for your friendship and for your support and, you know, and the work that we're doing is so connected and we're all on this journey together, even though we might take different paths. We're all seeking peace. We're all seeking harmony. We're all seeking just balance. And I'm just so grateful to have someone like you in my life. Yes. Yes. I agree. Before we go, give us your, give us your website so we can make sure that we can log on to there and we'll yes. leave in the podcast notes. Half the story project.org. There we go. Thank you so much for coming on beloved journal. Thank you. Thank you for your pug friend, Poncho, oh for, for hanging out with us. So. Bear, can you say hi? There he goes. He's saying hi. You'll ha- hi yeah, thank you. 
Beloved Journal is produced by Stephanie Lee and hosted by Rob Lee. Our theme music is by Mipso, the best band in the world. Connect with us on BelovedJournal.com, and if you like what you heard, tell someone about it.